Hi, everyone, and welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. No, it's not Sean Kelly filling in for him on this Wednesday morning as the Saints are getting ready for the Carolina Panthers on Sunday after clinching the number one seed in home field throughout on Sunday afternoon. And the Pelicans are here in Dallas. That's where I am. As they'll kind of wrap up this four-game road trip, I'm going to say it's a four-game road trip, but the Pelicans went home after the game against Sacramento, had a couple days home for the holidays, and then traveled late yesterday here to Dallas and will wrap up the trip against the Mavericks, who the Pelicans will see again on Friday at the Smoothie King Center. Kind of a hockey home-and-home, home, as they say, as the Pelicans can uh, will have three games already wrapped up with the Mavericks after Friday night's game. But we haven't talked to you much since the Saints win over the Pittsburgh Steelers 31-28. We did have a special black and blue report for you yesterday on Christmas. It was a feature I had an honor of doing, and it was a it was a real pleasure getting to know Nancy Dozier, Justin James, and Tysha Martin. If you haven't listened to it yet, log on to NewOrleansSaints.com or the mobile app. It focuses in on Nancy um, donating one of her kidneys to a neighbor or a former neighbor. That ki- uh, that donor or the person was Justin. He's a Steelers fan. Nancy a, a Saint or yeah, Nancy a Saints fan. You kind of know what happened there. We surprised them with some tickets. They went to the game on Sunday. Obviously, they were good luck charms. Um, for more on that, though, please log on. It was a really special feature to do, and I'm, I'm glad that we got to share it with you on Christmas yesterday. But um, all business here today on this Wednesday. Of course, we'll talk with John DeShazer of NewOrleansSaints.com. Normally, what I do on a Monday, I've kind of carried over to Wednesday here as we'll kind of look ahead to the Panthers. Not much to look ahead for with far as Carolina Yes, they have a third-string quarterback in Kyle Allen that will be playing on Wednesday, but this is more about the Saints than it is the Panthers because they've already wrapped up the number one seed. Carolina's eliminated, so now it's just a question of who plays on Sunday, how long, and hopefully no one gets hurt. As the Pel- Then the Saints will have the week off, um, the wild-card weekend off, and then we'll play in the divisional round. As far as the Pelicans, unfortunately, no luck on this road trip. 0-3 with losses to the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Sacramento Kings. All of them have pretty much come down to the wire but the pelicans have not come up down in clutch time so let's see if they can reverse that today against the dallas mavericks they're now 15 and 19 14th place in the west but just three and a half games back out of eight so still within arm's reach but pelicans will have to turn it on here and get on a winning streak before the calendar year is over as they will play take the mavericks on today friday and then the rockets on saturday and then timberwolves on monday we'll talk pelicans with jim eichenhofer as well as we'll carry him over to the Wednesday show. So sit down, relax for those recovering from the Christmas holiday. Get your headphones on, snuggle in, maybe some hot chocolate, depending on where you are. Probably don't need it too much in the Crescent City or here in Dallas today. But it's the Black and Blue Report, the Wednesday edition, presented by SeatGeek, right now. This is the Black and Blue Report, presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. All right, time to talk about the Saints and their number one seed clinched on Sunday afternoon as they defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers, as I mentioned in the opening segment. And of course, joining me now is John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. And, J.D., Merry Christmas to you and your family and hope you had a great day yesterday, a great couple days, I should say. A fantastic day at home. We don't often get uh, holidays around these parts, uh, especially when the Saints season. So really, really good to be home with the family and enjoy for a change. And certainly always more enjoyable when the Saints play well, and they certainly did on Sunday against the Steelers. Uh, what a win against Pittsburgh, and another came down to getting another big stop for that defense. 
Well, man, I tell you, that's that's seven games they won this year with a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter, and obviously they had to get the stops to go along with it defensively. Uh, so, man, it, it's really been, I don't want to say a magical season, the 13-2 and two and locked up the number one seed in the NFC, but certainly they've shown the ability to be able to win in all types of ways, and they've shown – uh, an ability to win in the clutch, to be able to to get the stops they got to get, to get the scores they got to get, and to put it all together in the fourth quarter, even when it hadn't gone right for maybe three quarters or three and a half quarters, they still have found a way to figure it out. Isn't that kind of the formula to a winning team, J.D., as far as a little bit of magic, a little bit of execution? And I feel like this is a team that's kind of done a little bit of both, as you mentioned, just figuring out ways to win, but also knowing that if they get down, that they're not out. And I think that's probably the most impressive thing out of all this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think one of the things that Coach Sean Payton's always saying is uh, confidence comes from demonstrated ability. Uh, basically, he's saying, you know, you get confident because you've done it before. And they've done it enough to where they don't get in those situations and panic. Uh, you can get, you can see some situations where a quarterback might force a ball. And, and maybe in past seasons when the Saints were 7-9 and nine and they didn't have – a defense as good as this one, you might have seen them make some of those mistakes because I think Drew Brees thought he had to be a little too perfect at quarterback and he, he couldn't afford to make mistakes, and you know, but he had to take chances because the team uh, just wasn't good enough defensively to be able to hold up. But now you see where you know he said himself, sometimes punting is not a bad thing. Uh, you kick the ball, you put your defense back out there, you see if they can get you a stop, and usually this team does in some clutch situations, get it back to the offense and then see if you can get it together. And then you string together a little uh, nice special teams play also to go along with it, and you put all those things together and you have some good fortune as in you know Drew Brees not getting injured. Let me find a piece of wood to knock on. And Cam Jordan um, not being injured and, and, and you know, you – principal characters being available and on the field and it means a whole lot you see the continuity that happens on the offensive line even though even though Teron Armstead at left tackle keeps going out with injury but you still have basically Max Unger Larry Warford Ryan Ramchek playing all the snaps at center left guard and left tackle then you have Andrews Pete playing a lot of the snaps at left guard and he's able to bump out to left tackle if he has to so you see a lot of continuity. And, again, these guys have just been together and they've done it enough to where you see the confidence, you see the the ability to not panic under pressure. A lot of people wanted to say that the offense was back on Sunday afternoon. And for me, it was more of I thought just the offense may have struggled the last few weeks. I don't think there was ever a chance thinking that they've gone away. In your sense, I guess if we're going to ask the question, J.D., is the offense back or I guess right to back where they were – uh, before they kind of went the little slump. Well, I mean, I think they, I think the slump was was I don't want to say justifiable. They played some, they played a really good Dallas defense on the road. Uh, they played Tampa Bay and Carolina on the road, two division opponents who know you and have a really good idea of the things that you do offensively, and so they can probably plan for you better than anybody so I you know I it was an understandable slump to me and then you were able to get they were able to get Pittsburgh in here and kind of get back to what they do they didn't have the type of yardage amounts that we're accustomed to seeing but the 31 points obviously is right on par with what we're accustomed to seeing from this offense and you know sometimes it just takes to it takes getting back home getting a little home cooking uh, getting back comfortable in your environment to be able to do the things that you're accustomed to doing. And, and it helped tremendously to get Ted Ginn Jr. back on the field 
uh, to give them that, you know, that little extra something on offense, a guy who can take the top off of a defense, a guy that you have to respect defensively. So you don't want to get up on him. You see defenses backing off Ted Ginn Jr. Ted Ginn Jr. is 30-plus years old, but he can still run, man, and, and adding him back to that offense I think gave it some juice. I was about to ask you, you know, we were uh, the Pelicans were playing the Kings at the time that the Saints and Steelers were playing, so I didn't get to see much of it. But how did Ted Ginn look? I know five receptions, 74 yards, but as far as him moving about, how did he run? How did he look on Sunday? Looked fantastic and never has looked better than the conversion on third and 20. Uh, Saints needed to convert a third and 20 on that game-winning drive, and Ted Ginn Jr. catches a 25-yard pass from Breeze. And basically – you know, he was wide open on the catch. I mean, and that shows the respect Pittsburgh has. They were backing up. Now, you know, they were playing zone, and I'm sure, you know, looking at it, they'll say they didn't play it the way they wanted to, but they didn't play it the way they wanted to because if you see Ted Ginn Jr. lined up across from you, you're going to back up some. And Drew Brees got enough time from that offensive line. Ted Ginn found the hole, um, and then, they, you know, the, the connection was really easy. It almost looked like third and third and eight instead of third and 20 to be honest with you. Jay, let's talk about now Sunday's finale here for the New Orleans Saints. Of course, they have locked up the number one seed, and um, we'll play a Carolina Panthers team that's really banged up. But just from the Saints' approach to Sunday's game, how do you do this if you're Sean Payne? Because from the one sense, you probably want to have somewhat of a little bit of momentum. I know you do have a lot of momentum here, but as far as you know, not resting too many guys, but also you don't want to risk injury here in the final game that doesn't really count for much besides whether you're 13-3 and three or 14-2. and two. So I know this is the beginning of the week, and you probably have talked to Sean Payton a little bit, but what do you think his approach will be on Sunday against the Panthers? Well, he says the approach is to go out and treat it like a regular regular season game. Uh, now, I don't necessarily know if that's going to be the case because, I mean, you have everything sewn up that you need if you're the Saints. And, and let's remember um, 09 when they got the number one seed. They were 13-0. and 0. They lost the last three games of the regular season. Everybody said, okay, the momentum's broken. They're going into the playoffs the wrong way, and they end up winning the Super Bowl that year. So now they have, you know, this momentum going for them, I think, uh, heading into the playoffs where they've won three straight. And the last game, obviously, is a game where you don't want to put guys to the hazard. But we've also got to remember that, you know, there's only only so many roster spots. There's a 53-man roster. There's only seven inactives on game day. And so – you know, even if Drew Brees doesn't play or Cam Jordan doesn't play or Michael Thomas doesn't play, for example, there is only so much depth you have when you only have 46 guys. So somebody <laughs> is going to have to play. That's pretty significant, probably along the offensive line. And, um, you know, if not Michael Thomas, then maybe Ted Ginn Jr. gets some snaps. Uh, if Alvin Kamara and, and Mark Ingram don't play, and I don't necessarily know that both of them can't play because the only guy left is Dwayne Washington at running back. So, you know, it, it, it's a little thin. Uh, offensive line, the Saints generally have carried about seven offensive linemen into a game. And even if you carry eight in, well, that still means you, you have three reserves. So you can only rest three starters. And you might want to rotate a couple guys in and out, you know, just to keep guys fresh and to hopefully uh, keep them away from injury possibilities. So you just don't know how it's going to go. Right now, Coach Payton says he, he's going to play it and play it like it's a regular game, a regular, regular season game. So that means they'll line up and, and go out there. But, I, 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 you know, I just don't necessarily know that Drew Brees is going to be out there for an extended period of time. I mean, I think he needs eight yards to pass for 4,000 for the 12th consecutive season or something like that. Maybe he goes out there and throws a couple of passes and gets his 8,000. 
Uh, maybe Michael Thomas is out there to see if he can, you know, add to another record. I think he's on the cusp of uh, the receiving yards record. Or maybe Alvin Kamara goes out there to see if he can break the single-season touchdown record. He's got 18, and that ties him with Dalton Hilliard uh, with 18 for a single-season record. But, you know, I, I just uh, I, I can't imagine that they got, those guys will be out there if they're out there for more than a cameo. I was about to say, how big could this be for Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that really hasn't played much and, you know, could be working for, you know, the stay here after this year? How big would it be for Bridgewater to get some reps just for more of a, another rehearsal for him for this team? Well, I mean, obviously it'll be huge for Teddy. I mean, he, you know, he's going to make a determination during the offseason. Does he want to pursue free agency where I can't imagine there won't be offers for his services considering the quarterback situation around the NFL? You know, you can look and just – Offhand, you can probably name five, six teams that will probably be in the running or, or at least be offering to sit, to have him come and sit down and talk to him. And so you get a chance to hopefully get him out there, show what he can do, or, and maybe he gets out there, you know, because I think Teddy Bridgewater, honestly, I think he likes this organization. I think he likes everything about it. Now, will he be able to have the patience to wait his turn if Drew Brees is going to play at least another year? That's one of the things that's going to have to be, you know, taken into consideration by he and his camp, and only though they know the answer to that. But I do know he really likes it here. He enjoys being here. So maybe getting an opportunity to go out there in that offense for a good portion of a game and getting the chance to play is something that will, could could possibly work in his favor. This is a young, relatively young Saints nucleus when you're talking about the ages of guys who are growing into it and being impact players. So the Saints really on paper and man i hate to say stuff like this but they look like on paper they're poised to be contenders for another two three four five years with a young nucleus that they have so you know that could be something that could be really really intriguing and enticing to bridgewater all right so before i let you go let's talk about saints and panthers for just a few seconds as far as what do you want to see on Sunday afternoon between these two teams as far as the Saints are concerned. Is there anything that you're like, man, I just want to see this one more time before we head into the postseason, or you're just kind of saying, hey, don't get hurt, and uh, let's get through this game? You named it right at the end. I just I just want to see this team not get hurt. Nobody um, injured. Uh, Teron Armstead left the uh, Pittsburgh game a couple of times, uh, said he re-injured his peck, and you know maybe he would have been able to finish out that game, but – Maybe not. I just don't want to see anybody get nicked up and get hurt as this team, even though they're going to have the, the bye week and have the extra rest. But you don't want to see anybody uh, tweak anything. Now I understand, look, football's a, a dangerous sport. And a lot of times, look, you can, you can get injured in practice just, you know, jogging around. So, you know, injuries happen. But I don't – I certainly don't want to see anybody get hurt in this game. I really like to see Teddy Bridgewater have a nice showing because, you know, he's been such a good soldier and I want to see him – you know, get some enjoyment on the field, the kind of enjoyment that we see him having in, in the um in the in the locker room. Maybe he can do his little bike ride dance out on the field. <laughs> but I really like to see Teddy have a have a good time out there because I uh, you know it, it's 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 hard if you're a competitor and you've been a starter in the NFL to now be a be a backup and be the good soldier. And I think he's he's really been a good soldier from that standpoint. But again, I think he likes, you know, being around this team and being around these guys and he likes the way the organization is going, but I'd like to see him have a really nice game. Have you learned the bike ride dance yet, JD? Man, my knees won't hold up. You know, I'm 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 52 <laughs> and they just they won't do it like they used to. Now, if I was, you know, 20 25 years ago, I'd probably be bike riding around the office right now, but 
You know, Teddy's a little younger than me. I, I, now, here's the thing. I wonder if Teddy's doing that bike ride dance on his surgically repaired leg or on the, on the other quote-unquote good leg. That's the one I hadn't figured out yet, so I got I to gotta ask him about that because you know, I want to see him jumping around on that, on that leg that's been repaired. I think you got yourself a story for this upcoming <laughs> week here as there's really not much to talk about. Let's get, go behind the dance, as they say. Exactly. Does that sound good? <laughs> That's John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com digging deep here as the Pelicans head, or the Saints, I should say, head into their game against the Carolina Panthers. J.D., I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you back on Monday after the Pelicans, or the, God, I'm going to do it again, the Saints wrap up the regular season. Well, hopefully it'll be a victory Monday. Either way, it's already a victory Monday because it'll be a bye week and they'll be healing up some bodies. So they've gotten everything that they have. have they've earned everything they've gotten this year, so. Hopefully it'll it'll be uh, rolling into the playoffs with all the momentum that they that they have right now. All right, thanks, JD. All right, man. And now it's time to talk Pelicans here on Wednesday's Black and Blue Report. Joining me now is Jim Knopfer from Pelicans.com. We did not have a Monday conversation, so I felt like it was perfect to have this conversation here on Wednesday. First off, Jim, Merry Christmas. Hope you had a wonderful couple days off in between games. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was nice to have a little bit of a break. I know we still had to travel on Christmas with the game being on the 26th today, but um, it was good. Hopefully it'll be some, you know, refreshing and kind of something that people can use to recharge as we get ready for the rest of the season. Hopefully the Pelicans are able to recharge, Jim, because tonight's game is a big one for the Pelicans. They've lost four in a row, including three on this current road trip, and you also have a Dallas Mavericks team who's in the same boat. They've even lost six in a row. Yeah, both of these teams are definitely in need of a victory, obviously. I mean, the Pelicans don't want to make five losses in a row, with a pretty t- tough stretch still coming up. I mean, every stretch might be tough this season With when you look at the West. And the same thing for the Mavericks, that obviously they don't want to lose a seventh straight game. They were they started off really poorly, then had a really good stretch, got over 500, and now they're back struggling again. So, yeah, this is, this is uh, I think, pretty key for both teams. Of course, Jim, the team has lost four in a row. Let's go back to that for a second. Is there anything that kind of you can pinpoint as far as why they've struggled in these last four games? It's come down to a lot of the uh, fourth quarter and the last few minutes of games. They've played really well. It's been a pretty even game all four games, or even in the case with Sunday in Sacramento, they were the better team for the first three, three and a half quarters. But then at the end of the game, they weren't able to close it out, and the other team has had the upper hand really in in all of these games at the end. um, Milwaukee, I thought the last three or four minutes they – had the upper hand, they out-hustled the Pelicans on a few plays, had, came up with some key rebounds, that kind of thing. And then obviously Sacramento had a 14-0 run in the fourth quarter. So it's really been, you know, not totally discouraging because you've actually been competitive and you've been in games. I think sometimes you have to be a little bit more concerned if you're on a four-game losing streak and you've lost every game by 25 points or whatever. But on the other hand, it's also been frustrating to have – victories be so close within reach and then not be able to close them out let's find a positive from that four game losing streak and i think jolly local four is one that we can point to here as far as his last three games played and has earned his way into this rotation what have you seen from john these last three yeah he's done i think what people thought he was going to do to be successful in the nba when his career started as far as just his low post ability the fact that you can dump the ball down to him and he can go to work he has really good footwork he has some good low post moves that he's been doing I'm sure since he was like 10 years old as far as some of the hook shots and drop steps and that kind of thing so um, if you want to look at positives from the recent stretch I, I would say obviously he's one of the biggest ones and one of the things that I think you always have to look at when you have guys injured is is there going to be a silver lining somewhere where you have other guys that haven't gotten an opportunity 
who are going to be able to step in. And now later in the season, you can rely on them when you need them, or even right now when you still have some guys, you know, out of the lineup. So um, I think that hopefully as, as the season progresses, we'll look back at this part of the season where you had multiple guys out of the lineup and say, well, Okafor was able to show that he belongs in the rotation. And hopefully that'll be the case with another guy or two, because as we've talked about earlier in the season, I know depth was a concern and you were worried that your rotation is only seven or eight, nine guys. You, you definitely, especially this early in the season, you want to be able to trust 10, 11, 12 guys to play. I know you're not the guy I should be asking this question to, but let's say when Nico comes back from his ankle injury, does Jaw still get some minutes in that rotation? Because you have three solid front court guys, <clears throat> excuse me, and Anthony Davis, Julius Randle, Nicole Miritich. How does that change here when Miritich comes back here for Okafor? That's a good question. I think, um, it, it, honestly, it might come down to earlier in the season, Diallo was getting those minutes, and now maybe Okafor gets them. I don't think that, especially when you know there's still uh, 50-something games left in the season, um, that or 30-something games left in the season, that you're, you can say, okay, well, if Davis, Randall, and Miritich are all healthy, that no other big is going to play. I think you're always going to have a fourth guy that's going to be in the mix. So what Job might be doing right now is just showing that he deserves to be that fourth big and that maybe you'll see a difference in how those minutes were allocated compared to earlier in the season. Let's focus in on the Dallas Mavericks tonight, Jim. This is a rare, I guess, home-and-home home with the Dallas Mavericks. It'll be three times now after we're done with Friday that we've seen the Dallas Mavericks. Pelicans 1-0. They blew him out in the – in the Smoothie King Center on December 5th. Um, since then, I think Mavericks have kind of been reeling a little bit, but also so the Pelicans. But what have you seen from Dallas? Because there was a point there where they were the eighth seed, they were winning a lot of games at home, and now they kind of struggled. But is there anything you've noticed from Dallas lately? I do think that they are going to miss Dennis Smith Jr. when he's not in the lineup because he gives them a you know another guy that can score. He's athletic. He's pretty um, dangerous, somebody that you have to worry about at all times if you're the opposing team. It seems like Jalen Brunson's done a good job filling in for him, but obviously that's going to hurt their depth as well. And I, I've seen people note and write about lately about how the first month or so of the season the Dallas bench was really good, but lately it's gone the opposite way. And that might be partly because of injuries and people having to move diff- move around to different roles. Um, Maxi Kleber, who who was one of the better reserves early in the year, he his minutes have gone down when Dirk came back, so They've had to kind of shuffle things around a little bit, and um, I think that might be part of it. But also, they similarly to the Pelicans, they've been in all these games. That, I mean, if you look at the final scores, the margin of defeat during this six-game losing streak that they're on, I can I can only I can guess that they've they're probably in. Um, they feel the same way the Pelicans do. There, it's really frustrating that you've been in so many games and you haven't been able to win any of the recent ones. It's been fun to watch Luka Doncic evolve here in the last couple of weeks. I guess his last bad game was probably against the Pelicans, where he only had eight points, and you can owe a lot of that to Drew Holiday and his defense on him. But ever since then, I think Doncic has been ridiculous to watch. What have you seen from him in his rookie year? Just the fact that he's been as good as advertised and probably better has been the thing that stood out to me the most. Um, I think all of the stuff that people said going into the draft last year about how he was more ready to play in the NBA than other guys based on his experience and not just his experience, but just how much success he had in the Euro league and playing against that competition. So, I mean, to me, that's one thing that you look at with a lot of rookies is you can't judge them on their rookie year because they're still learning so much. But with him, it seems like the learning curve has been a lot quicker because just of everything that he's gone through in the past. He, he's so, he it just seems like he was so ready for, 
for this level of competition because he's seen something similar to this since he was like 12 or 13 years old, it sounds like. When you look at tonight's matchup between these two teams and two teams that are desperate for a win, as far as the Pelicans are concerned, what are some keys that stick out to you as far as what they have to do to kind of snap this losing streak? I mean, one thing that I, I look at, and it's hard to control for this really, is that I think the three-point shooting has been something that's been a problem lately. Um, it, obviously, I think Nico not being in the lineup is hurt, but they've had a lot of games lately where they haven't shot threes well. I think the Milwaukee game was the only one recent game where they, they did really well. I think they made 18 or 19 in that game. But um, I think that's one key. Um, they they got to start doing better in that category. They've had a lot of games lately where they've shot in the 20s percentage-wise. So, um, And I think rebounding, too, is, is going to be big against the Mavericks. Um, you know, the and obviously defensively, they. I mean, I, I, could, I guess when you lose four in a row and you've had the stretch that the Pelicans have had lately, you, you could make a pretty long list of things that need to, to be better. But um, like you said earlier, I think this is this is a really important game and this is a really important two-game set here with the Mavericks. Yeah, especially if you look at the standings, and that's how we'll end this conversation, Jim, is because you look at the Pelicans, they're 14th in the West, and you think 14th, you're like, ugh. That's really never good if you're ever 14th, but you're only three and a half games back of eighth. I know we keep saying, well, Let's just see if we can get healthy and then make a run here. But the, it's, it's one, it's a little worrisome that you're down to 14th, but also it's very positive that you're only three and a half back of a playoff spot here because it's still we're almost halfway through the season. It's so wide open in the West. Yeah, I keep saying that the one thing that is really unique about this year in the West, and I really think it's something that we've never seen before with 14, maybe in the history of the NBA there's never been a case like this where there's only one team that doesn't have a realistic chance to make the playoffs in a, within a conference. But to me, if the plus is if you get hot, you, you have a chance to move up a lot of spots. If you, if you can put together a six- or eight-game winning streak, you can, I think you can jump a ways from obviously from 14 up to you know maybe even into the top eight but if you the, the, I think the negative is if, if you don't get hot and you even if you play decent ball like above 500 ball over an extended period of time there's so many teams between eight and 13 obviously that you have to jump that I think it's going to be harder it's harder than ever to play um so-so basketball and get in the playoffs this year just because there's so many teams that have a chance to do it. If you look at these last four games of the calendar year for the Pelicans, it's Dallas twice, Houston once, and Minnesota, all teams that you're going to be vying for. So you could make a nice little run here at the end of the year, and you could be right back in this thing. Yeah, this is a pretty key stretch. I mean, with all of the head-to-head games that you mentioned that are against teams that are right around you in the race, and I think it's it's a, could be a little bit of a measuring stick um, stretch. If It seems like I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it seems like at the beginning of January, there's a lot of games against the East and against teams that aren't um, necessarily great. There's a couple games against Cleveland in there. Um, so really, this not only is this a really key stretch, but I think it's the last stretch for a while until you get to like mid-January where you actually have a chance to impact some of the teams ahead of you directly by playing them because I don't, they don't, the Pelicans don't play a big chunk of games against the West until that road trip where they play they have a five-game road trip that starts with, um, I think, Minnesota and ends with Memphis. So that'll be another chunk where you can you can make a big impact as far as winning games and you know head-to-head tiebreaker, all that kind of thing. So, anyways, the, so these next you know this next week or so, I think, is going to be big, and you you definitely need to get a bunch of victories. If if it goes the opposite way, you're going to be in in really tough shape. That's Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Jim, thanks for fitting me into your Wednesday schedule. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, you know, I'm used to doing this on Mondays, and my, my Wednesdays are Wednesdays are absolutely packed, but I figured, you know, I could set aside a few minutes for you, no problem. 
There he is, Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com, and that'll do it for the Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Big thanks to John DeShazer from NewOrleansaints.com, and, of course, Jim. And, of course, the ladies, Caroline Gonzalez and Ashley Hamas will have your Friday show as they get you ready for the Pelicans and the Dallas Mavericks and also Saints and Panthers to wrap up the NFL schedule. All right, hope you had a great holidays, and uh, let's get back to work here. Pelicans and Mavericks night, 7.30 p.m. Central. You can watch on Fox Sports New Orleans or listen on News Talk 99.5 WRNO. For J.D., Jim, I'm Daniel. Thanks for watching or listening, I should say, to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report, presented by Seekers.